0: And welcome to another edition of Throwing Bagels. Kevin Mooney here with you alongside Jason Hamo. Hey, Jay. Hey, Kevin. How you
1: doing?
0: Hey, I am great. Thank you. Uh, and Chris, Chris Douglas, with us as well. Hey, Chris. Kevin, how are you? Let's just jump right into our, our next guest, who's uh, general manager of the AAA affiliate of the New York Mets, the Syracuse Mets. And we welcome in Jason Smarrow. Jason, thank you so much for being with us.
2: Ah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, Recently, you you went through the open house, an annual open house event that you hold for for the Syracuse community, and fans were able to come in and uh, listen to you give a preview of the 2023 season. And there are some changes in store um for the ballpark first of all and this is something the mets have been doing for for quite a while but it's going uh, cashless uh, at the ballpark so so what is what what can fans expect when they make a visit
2: uh they can expect not to pay cash for anything <laughs> it's a, it's a pretty simple little concept there you, you go know, cashless <laughs> uh, but actually you know it's one of those things that's very strange that that like covid happened and then nobody wanted to pay cash for anything I mean, so we were 80-20 at the uh, ticket windows, 80% credit cards, 20% cash. And then we were always pretty cash-heavy at the concessions. Traditionally, we were the uh, concession partner's largest cash account. Mm -hmm. And we were really 60% cash, 40% credit cards. And then COVID happened, and we went to like 55-45. And then last year happened, and we were 60-40 credit cards to cash. Uh, so the world is kind of moving that way. Uh, it really streamlines things for us as an operation. It makes it faster uh, to do the transactions. It makes it faster to get all set up. You don't have to have armored cars and all that stuff. So, um, and we really, and we only did 250 withdrawals out of the ATM last year. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think it's just part of the times, a sign of the times. Uh, that we're going to go cashless. Uh, and, but we're doing one more thing, you know, so something the Mets do uh, across the board, uh, and it differentiates us uh, here in Syracuse uh, because we're going to offer a reverse ATM. Um, somebody wants to spend, wants to come in and is dead sent on not using that credit card. And some people just don't want to use their credit cards for whatever reason. Uh, you can put $20 into this reverse ATM and it'll spit out a debit card worth $20 no fees to the fans will eat the fees and uh and they can use that debit card in the stadium or wherever they want they, it's just a regular old debit card uh that they can use online for ebay or whatever they want to do with it so just want, want to make sure that we are giving the fans the option uh my over under is 100 debit cards for the entire season uh and i'm going to take the under can you
3: swipe it at the machine and put money back on the card Or do you have to get a new card each time?
2: You have to get a new card, but refunds can be made to that card. So you got to keep that card. So, you know, if something, you know, maybe maybe something at the merchandise stand or something like that, I don't know if you're going to get a refund if you half ate a hot dog on dollar Thursday, but uh, you know, we do love our fans, so maybe we give you 50 cents back. I, I'm not 100% sure, so. Uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of little nuances to it, so we are kind of learning as we go and uh and you know, we we're getting lucky uh that I think it's actually going to be here before opening day. <laughs> we made a lot of promises and uh so in theory as it stands it will be installed april 3rd and we open april 4th excellent
1: ooh we're gonna cut <laughs> it close, <kinda> close. <laughs> nothing like
2: leaving it to the uh down to the last <laughs> mile uh
1: you'd mentioned food just a minute ago about hot dogs uh it, it looks like the organization is slowly building like a vegetarian vegan gluten-free options Can you give us some insight uh, into what the new food options are at the ballpark and how you select the vendors uh, with these food options?
2: Yeah, um, you know, so we've tried, you know, we we have really good food here, you know, at the stadium, um, you know, in comparison, you know, to, you know, our counterparts at at other sporting events and and entertainment venues. Um, And last year, you know, we just kind of stepped our game up a little bit. We always controlled everything in-house and our fans really wanted, more local vendors, more local vendors, which, you know, sounds like a smart idea. So we're not as dumb as we look, and we like to listen to the fans. And uh, so last year we brought in Pavone's Pizza, which is a uh, a local stalwart, uh, the fantastic pizza, uh, and the fans love it. And quite frankly, we used to make horrible pizza. So <laughs> it literally is the greatest upgrade in, in our pizza uh, for a long time. You know, and then we weren't sure, you know, what else we wanted to do, and – and we said, geez, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe there's another somebody else we could bring in. And we actually had a uh, a, a partner, a sponsor, an advertising partner, and in uh, Danny's Cheesesteaks and Kasai Ramen, and and he has another place uh, House on Walton. And he's a huge Mets fan, so we're like, hey, you're already a sponsor here. Would you like to take over a concession stand and and sell cheesesteaks? I asked him. I wanted him to do ramen because he makes fantastic ramen. So he's like, I can't do ramen at ballparks. It's just not going to work out. So, uh, uh, so that's how Danny's cheesesteaks got here. So now all of a sudden we've got cheesesteaks down on the right on the left field side, uh, and he makes his own cheese whiz and he has different French fries. Uh, we've got Pavone's pizza. Uh, we've always had a you know a different uh, local vendor for kind of you know. Uh, fresh-squeezed lemonade and, and some little treats like that. Obviously, we deal, work directly with Hoffman's Hot Dogs. Uh, and then this year, we were able to uh, replace Dunkin' Donuts with a local vendor, Recess Coffee. Uh, and that's going to make our life easier. It's going to make it better for the fans because with Dunkin' Donuts, we were franchised and we kind of were limited in what we could do. I like to say it was the worst Dunkin' Donuts franchise in the history of Dunkin' Donuts franchise. and a total disservice to Dunkin' Donuts. who does a wonderful job other places. Uh, But now we can have coffee all over the place. Uh, They're going to bring in cold brew. So we're going to have cold brew. We're going to have espresso martinis. You know, when it gets hot, we don't sell a lot of coffee when it's 90 degrees out. So, but with that cold brew, we're going to have iced coffees uh, and really expand it, you know, all around the stadium. And, you know, we've always... Trying our hardest, you know, and food's tough, right? It's tough. Food's that's tough. Fair. You know, and we're a very strange business. You know, we're a business that's open 75 days a year for two and a half to three hours, uh, and we move a lot of hot dogs, beer, and water and soda. But you want to be everything to everybody, yeah. and you know, we probably serve 30 uh, vegetarian, you know, Boca burgers a uh, game on a busy night. We used to sell four on regular nights. Two of those were to my daughter. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, but you want to make those offerings. Uh, mm. And then this year, we just kind of talked. We were just talking with our partner, which is Oakview Group, and they said we had to do better for vegetarian. Uh, and we always try for gluten free, but then you think there's a lot of cross contamination, right? You have a bacon burger. Mm-hmm. If you're making it on the same flat top in beef. That. it defeats the purpose of a Boca burger uh, so we devoted a, a, a cart it's our little taste New York cart uh, where we feature New York uh, based products as much as possible uh, so we're gonna make that into a vegetarian cart and we're gonna serve uh, our salt potatoes there and a, and a loaded salt potato crispy salt potatoes we're gonna smash them on the grill and crisp them up and put fixings on them we're gonna serve pierogi uh, I believe that we're about to is scoop for the Throwing Bagels podcast, I believe we have come to an agreement just this evening with the pierogi guy, Mr. Pierogi, uh, out of Rochester to do uh, New York-based pierogi uh, here at the stadium. Uh, veg- vegetarian ones are not getting the buffalo chicken wing pierogi over there. Uh, we're talking about different salads and different wraps and, and just making that and doing our Boca burgers or whatever burger we come up with over there so that it's going to be non-contaminated. We talked to Pavone's pizza. He's going to bring in a new pizza oven this year so he can do some gluten-free pizza. Uh, (laughs) And so we're always trying for those things. And and we've learned a lot from the fans over the years, specifically about the cross-contamination of putting the gluten-free chicken tenders in the same oil as the glutinous chicken tenders, which defeats the purpose (laughs) of said gluten-freeness. So we try as hard as we can. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, we serve a lot of meat and we serve a lot of hot dogs and we serve a lot of beer. Um, so it's kind of that 80-20 rule. Maybe okay. it's 90-10, but we want to make our make it as best for the for the 10 to 15 percent that want that other option. I mean, espresso martinis, that's pretty fancy. Right. I don't know how we're going to pull that off. I don't know what plastic glass we're going to be able to do. <laughs> that's what I was uh, thinking. We have great intentions. We'll see how our execution is.
0: We talk about inflation. It sounds like dollar dog day has, has not escaped that. It's not escaped the impact of inflation.
2: It is not. And, and, it, and it's kind of a funny thing. It, you know, so, you know, after 10 years, we have to raise the price of a hot dog. Um, and, you know, and now we're going to serve that same great, fantastic uh, Hoffman's natural casing six to one hot dog in county for two dollars instead of one dollar. Uh, and you know, normally at these places, hot dogs are anywhere from five to six, seven dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still a great deal, but it's like we have ended the earth is the fact that we have raised <laughs> oh, the <yeah>. price <laughs> of the hot dog from a dollar to two dollars. But it's still where else in the world can you go and get a delicious nutritious hopping hot dog for two dollars? You can go to the grocery store, make it yourself at your house and they have for less than that. Or, or you could come here on a Thursday night and get a dollar soda, a dollar souvenir, and God forbid we've had to raise the price of a beer at a sporting event all the way to three dollars. Oh, but you're no. gonna get a sixteen ounce beer now, <laughs> no longer a <laughs> twelve ounce beer. Are you are it's you a ketchup or a mustard guy on,
1: on your hot dog?
2: Uh, I'm all mustards. Uh and and people who use ketchup uh like i did when i was a child are horrible people uh and uh, and if i've offended anybody on this podcast i apologize i, I may resent a-
3: that a little bit but that's okay
2: ish. Uh, oh, <laughs> and i like man. specifically a brown spicy mustard but every once in a while i get that old school yellow mustard oh it's so good
3: i might have to leave hold on
2: <laughs> you're a ketchup
3: guy I mean, I'm like a I I will put ketchup on a hot dog, but I actually usually just eat them plain. I just like shove it in my mouth and just it down. Well, I have no down.
2: I have no opposition to dry, no condiment whatsoever. But I don't it's do I
3: don't like mustard.
2: Preferable to ketchup on a hot dog.
3: I don't like mustard at all. So so, but I will put I will put ketchup on a on a hot dog every so often.
2: <laughs> for once in a while, you know, I'm gonna put I would like to put ketchup on a hot dog that I cook in the microwave, like an old school Oscar Mayer wiener cooked in the microwave on a piece of white bread with ketchup it's not bad I, and i've just said basically that i hate myself because i will do that every once in a while
3: talking about being a kid again yes. Right.
2: yes and so if, <laughs> they don't even put the holes in it just make it explode
3: oh my god you <laughs> just, just got to hope it doesn't explode before you open up their microwave not
2: too much explosion but a little blowing out of the end is fine yeah
3: talking about the stadium so i know you had some upgrades um, can you tell us what, what kind of upgrades you've had and are you guys planning you know, any more during the season or any, any, what, anything else that have been in talks about upgrading?
2: No, we're, we're pretty much done for a while. We did $25 million worth of upgrades uh, over the course of 2020 uh, and 19 to 20. You know, we, were, we were supposed to be half ready for the 2020 season and then fully finished with the renovations in time for the 2021 season. But since COVID happened, we were just ready for the 2021 season. So we did $21 million worth of renovations, uh, obviously with a partnership with New York State and Onondaga County. All new seats, all new lights, all new paint, all new uh, renovation of the suites. We built a new bar area called the 315 Bullpen Bar in Leftfield. Uh, we tore down the old Hank Style Room, replaced that with the Metropolitan Club. Uh, We took down our deck We rebuilt, uh, we have a nice elevated Salt City deck Uh, We're more handicap accessible Did a bunch of stuff behind the scenes that nobody cares about Like heat pumps And hot water recirculating So, you know, in April When the guys come to turn the showers on It doesn't take 35 minutes to get the hot water (laughs) Over to that (laughs) side of the stadium Those guys care about it Um, You uh, gotta do that in
3: the Visitor's clubhouse, you know this,
2: unfortunately they're closer to the boiler so they got the hot water <laughs> first um new field new parking lot you know the place is, is a sparkling gem now uh, it, mm-hmm. we are the third oldest stadium left in the international League Buffalo's the oldest uh Rochester's the second oldest and we're the third and I believe that we're gonna we were this was was built in 96 for the 97th season. So I don't I'm not really great at math, but I think that's like twenty-eight years old or something like that. And we're the one of the oldest. So go figure. But um, you know, our renovation's great. Uh Rochester's jealous of us now. Uh, and now they're getting a stadium improvement so that we can go back to being jealous of them.
3: And can you can you kind of explain to people the Metropolitan Club, you know, the access to it? Do you need a specific ticket to get in there?
2: Yeah, so, you know, for us, it's a private uh, banquet hall, you know, so uh, we do not we do a lot of entertaining, a lot of hospitality, a lot of suites, a lot of party areas. Mm-hmm. We have party patios, we have sky suites, we have regular suites, we have the Salt City Deck. Uh, and then the Metropolitan Club is, is essentially our banquet room. We rent that out to uh, companies and private people. Uh, we have weddings in there. Uh, we have not had a bar mitzvah yet. Uh, we have had a prom in there. Uh, we do a lot of corporate events. We've had retirement parties, birthday parties, uh, all kinds of stuff. So that's generally uh, booked for a private party. We have 75 games. Uh, we've booked at 65 games so far for this upcoming season. So in theory, there'll be 10 dates that it's open to the public. Those are usually in April. Uh, <laughs> and then we just kind of open it to the public. You know, So we're going to have a trivia night in there one night. We're going to do our boozy brunches. Uh, we stole that idea from the Brooklyn Cyclones. So a couple of Sundays in uh, in uh, in April, we'll do it in the in the Metropolitan Club. And it's a beautiful room, you know. So it's twice as large as our old Hank Sour room. It's got garage doors that that lift up to go to the seats on the outside. It's got a couple of different buffets. Um, it's got some some history around it, and it's all decorated. Uh, and it's just a nice space with TVs and. It's got its own Wi Fi. It's got its own sound system. It's got its own private access through our Hall of Fame. Uh and it's just a great room. Actually, when the, the Mets came uh for opening day in twenty twenty one, they went into the Metropolitan Club. They're like, This is this might be nicer than some of the rooms we have at City Field. Uh so then they've done a bunch of renovations at City Field. They're like, Syracuse can't be nicer than us. We better make ourselves better at City Field. So um uh, so now we are no longer as good as City Field, but it's a really nice room
1: shift to uh, on the field there have been a number of role changes for baseball and it seemingly has been embraced by most of the players uh the most interesting one to me as far as minor league teams are concerned is the abs system the robot umpires that are installed in the old triple a ballparks how does that work uh and do you think the players are going to have trouble adjusting to that technology
2: I don't think so. Uh, We can't, we have to stop using the term robot umpires because our fans literally think there's going to be robots (laughs) on the field in place of the umpires. So we've got to get that out of the lexicon because they're all like, you're going to have robots on the field? Like, no, we're not going to have robots on the field. Uh, So it's automatic laws and strikes. They did it in the Pacific Coast League last year. They did it in one team in the International League, um, Charlotte last year. So when we went to Charlotte, we, we, we worked under those rules. Uh, they also did it in the Florida State League. So it is a combination. So it's essentially when you're watching a baseball game and everybody's more familiar with the World Series, the playoff games, and they put that box up on the screen and they track that pitch, that's what that's essentially what we're using. It's it's called the Hawkeye system. Mm-hmm. It's what most major league teams use to for their own internal analytics. Uh, so uh, Major League Baseball has installed these these Hawkeye systems, uh, and and right now it's just kind of fine-tuning what the, the rules are going to be because there's automatic balls and strikes where the, the, the machine calls the, the ball or strike and, and relays that information to the umpire who then makes the signal as to what the call was. And some games they're going to let the umpires call the balls and strikes and the players get to challenge the balls and strikes. So it's a challenge system. And the pitcher, the catcher, the hitter can challenge. The benches can't. It's got to be within two seconds. Uh, and they did that uh, in the Florida State League last year. You get three challenges a game. If you're successful, you don't lose a challenge. Uh, but when you've lost all three challenges, you're done with your challenges. So, um, I, you know, our guys went down out of the blue last year to Charlotte and made it out just fine with automatic balls and strikes and the challenge system. The St. Lucie Mets did it last year, uh, and they made it through the whole season. And and remarkably, they did not increase the times of their games at all. They, they mm-hmm. dramatically reduced the times of their games. So I was shocked that looking back and I've seen that we've had the pitch clock here since 2015, uh, which seems remarkable to me. Uh, so we've been used to the pitch clock. When we first got the pitch clock, we went from a little over three hours to 244. And then the umpires weren't really enforcing it. And it crept back up to three hours. And then in 2021, last season, 2022, they really enforced it. And we went back down to 244. So uh, uh, that speeds up the game. That's great. Um, the players don't care. I, I, I don't think they really do. Uh, it'll be, th- you know, this year, the, A- I don't think they're going to care about the ABS as long as it's, cons- all the players care about is consistency, you know? So, and, and it's supposed to adjust to the, 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 size of the player, uh, and then they can adjust it over the, as the course of the season goes on. Uh, and I think they communicate that to everybody, you know, then the other rules are going to be the no shifting, the, uh, the, the, only two throws over to check the runner at first base. Um, and those are going to be uh, interesting as well. We'll still have the uh, the ghost runner. I don't think we use a ghost runner. We put a guy on for the extra innings on second base. Uh, and those have all you know, kept bigger bases, you know. And that's all designed to keep the game flowing and you know, and get those that kind of old school baseball, you know, stretching a single into a double, a double into a triple, steal a couple more bases, get that get that activity going. You know, now that everyone's like, "Oh my God, I gotta watch because there's a shot clock. I gotta watch." You don't have to watch. You can still take, take take a leisurely approach to the game. But it has people talking about baseball, which is great. Mm. Uh, it has people uh, excited about it, and uh, and I think all that's good for the game.
3: So, so, two questions for you, quick on this. One is the the challenges. When the players challenge, does that do the umpires just go straight to the the, the system and say then see what the system said and that's it and then case closed you know, basically?
2: We're learning on the fly. I think it just goes to the video board. I think I think I think he hits a button and he talks to somebody upstairs and they send it to the video board and we see it in real time. Got it.
3: And have you noticed they had? I believe the the bases were started previously, right? Yeah, so, we
2: did. Uh, we had larger bases last year. Right, so like and half, half the season larger bases, half the season smaller bases.
3: Have hmm. you noticed? And I had some. I had an argument with someone over this. The bases make the distance a little bit shorter, right? Between between you know home and first, and vice inch, versa.
2: In, inch and a half short.
3: Right. right? So maybe three have you inches noticed you change? Inch and a
2: half at first, and the inch and a half at second, is three inches, right?
3: Have you mm-hmm. noticed a change in kind of like those bang-bang plays at first base, you know, where like the player normally would have been? It was like, oh, wow, it's such a close play now, like the runner's safe at first because of that extra inch or whatever? Not that I've
2: noticed, but I'm not going to lie to you. I don't watch a lot of the game. <laughs> I'm glad-handing or working in the concession stand. I, I, I listen to the games on the radio when we're on the road. I love when the boys are on the road and I can go go to Rochester and see them or go to Scranton to see them and actually watch a baseball game. So I am a horrible person to ask that question, <laughs> but I didn't hear any of that from the radio guys. I didn't hear any of that from the manager. You know, I speak to the manager the players. No one's said anything that it is changed that that, that that they've noticed. But I mean, that's, I mean, because there's been so many times that again, you know, but if, you know, if you're slow, maybe you, you get that call. If you're fast, you're going to get it anyway. But it's, I think it's, it's it's interesting after, all these years, how many hundreds of years has baseball been going on? 150 years or whatever it is, and 90 feet still seems to be that magic space. Right. The of home plate, it just seems to be the right distance after all this time. Exactly. You know? That's the
3: argument I had. It was like, how can you change 90 feet? 90 feet was like literally. It was like the smartest person alive picked 90 feet. You know what I mean? How did you know? Now we're
2: 89. Feet and nine and a half inches. It's still pretty close, but now this is set. So you know, in the major leagues, you know everything is is fine tuned and AAA is very good. One year in Batavia, I was also the groundskeeper, uh, and I was tilling the field, and I ripped up first base. And I was like, oh rats! I ripped, I ripped the whole concrete out, the whole thing. I was like, oh man! So I called this guy. I said, uh, I said I ripped up first base. I was like, you know, what am I supposed to do? He's like, well, if you got a, a fast team, you might want to make that first base 90 feet, one inch. And if you got a slow team, you might want to make it 89 feet, you know, and then 11 inches, 10 and a half inches. He's like, you know, you're know, you only going to get busted by somebody and then they got to figure it out. So I put it in there and I put it in at what I thought was 90 feet. I didn't know if you're supposed to measure the front, the back. I'm a moron. So I put it all in <laughs> And we have our first high school game and I missed, I screwed it up. I put it on the wrong side of the foul, of the foul line. <laughs> so I tear it out and do it all over again.
3: <laughs> oh man, that's a good one. It's a good story. The role of a, of a general manager in minor league baseball, how much say does the major league team, especially in AAA, right? Especially, you know, in AAA, you have these players that are, you know, coming maybe shuttling back and forth, you know, big prospect, do they give you any idea of like you the role you play as far as they ask you what do you think about this guy or anything like that or is it just kind of like listen people we need this are guy. very
2: disappointed to find out my role as a net general manager I have nothing to do with the baseball my job is to make sure there's a bus my job is to make sure there's a uniform my job is to make sure there's dirt on the field uh and that the and that the you know the airplane's there and that the the clubbies are there to clean it up. You know, the baseball department, we're one of the very few teams where we're owned by the major league team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, 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 we're business managers. We run the business operation of the team. We have nothing to do with the baseball. Uh, and that's the baseball department. So whatever your team is, you know, the Rochester Red Wings are an affiliate of the Washington Nationals. They're owned privately by themselves, the community baseball club of, Rochester, New York, whatever their name is. And they have an affiliation with the Nationals. In essence, even though we're owned by the Mets, we still have an affiliation with the Mets. You know, so our first year when we were owned by the Mets, we still have the Nationals players on the field. Uh, and we're the hosts uh, for these people. We want to make sure that they have everything they need in the clubhouse, every tool at their disposal. We're up to the standards uh, of Major League Baseball, uh, uh, you know, as far as our stadium is is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're just generally the hosts and, you know, we're, we're partners, you know, we as the Mets are partners and more so than most because we're owned by the Mets, but the Rochester Red Wings, for example, are partners with the, with the Washington Nationals and they're there to make sure that the Nationals players have a safe place to play baseball, develop their players to get to the Nationals. Same as us. We want to make sure there's a safe environment for the Mets players, our players to make it up. And, you know, and provide the Mets what they need because we're here for development. We're here to make sure the Mets win the World Series. We're not here to win the Governor's Cup. If we win the Governor's Cup, that's just gravy and awesomeness. Uh, and, you, and in the minor leagues, you have to catch lightning in a bottle for that to happen. Uh, and the dreaded Rochester Red Wings are a good example of that last year. They were a wonderful baseball team to start the season. And they were great. And they, had a, and they were probably thinking they were going to go to the playoffs and win the Governor's Cup. And then they traded Juan Soto and Bell, and then they scooped up all of the prospects and all the best players of the Rochester Red Wings and brought them to become the Washington Nationals, and they promptly lost 19 games in a row. And <laughs> they were out of contention, and their uh. season was ruined, their fans were dismayed. But that's what the Nationals needed. We are That's what we're here for. minor League Baseball in a nutshell every once in a while you get lucky and maybe this year we get lucky i don't want to jinx it but you know the mets are are pretty well established upstairs uh hopefully we'll start the season with some prospects you know but at the end of the day you know if francisco alvarez is going to go help the mets that's what we want him to do And, and hopefully we never see francisco alvarez ever again hopefully he goes up to the mets and kills it hopefully brett beatty goes up there and kills it. Hopefully Mauricio goes up there and, and kills it. Hopefully Bryce Montez-Deoga goes up and, and kills it for the Mets. And we hope that we never see them again. Uh, but in reality, you know, we see them all the time. We did we do over 200 player moves a year. You know, a lot of them are, are pitchers going up and back and forth and uh, pitching a doubleheader or something like that. So, you know, we're just here to facilitate the baseball department uh By providing them uh a place for them to do their work, what kind of a heads up do they give you? You know a player may
3: be coming down or moving up from Binghamton or something like that.
2: You know they're very good about communicating things before actually before we were at the Mets, it was we were more involved with it with the nationals. We picked the people up and all that stuff, but the Mets just kind of take care of it themselves uh with their own travel department so they uh they communicated pretty well and uh you know, for the most part, it's, it's kind of a seamless thing. It's not a big deal of, you know, I mean, essentially a player comes and goes almost every day, you know, the ones that we need a heads up for are the rehab assignments, you know? So if you're going to send us Jacob Degrom or Max Scherzer, those are the ones that we need a, a heads up for because we might need to get a few more security guards or a few more ushers, yeah. you know, or, uh, you know, so, so they're good about communicating those things to us and, Sometimes things happen in the middle of the night, you know somebody gets hurt in the game and 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 we've been down in the, in the clubhouse, and you know we've had to get you know at midnight they're like, "Hey, we got to get this guy to city field or we got to get this guy to Pittsburgh tomorrow. you know we just start hustling to find somebody to get him to the airport or if we got to Uber him there, or if we know somebody that can drive wants to drive to city field or go pick somebody up so that's that's kind of what we're here for. We just all work together. Uh, between the baseball department and the trainers and the coaching staff and, and us
0: during your um season preview you talk about attendance for i don't know if it was the first time that you can recall or the first time in so many years but syracuse the syracuse Mets actually outdrew the su football program and the su basketball program uh for 2022 i mean what 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 kind what do you attribute to to that
2: you know i think it's uh it's never one thing you know mm-hmm. i think that it is uh the Mets effect. Uh, I think it's the new stadium, you know, and I think it's the promotions that we do and maybe a little bit of sunshine goes in there as well. So, you know, if it rains on 4th of July, we don't set that record. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's that, it's that close. So I think it's a cumulative effect, but the large, the biggest factor, you know, I think is the Mets effects. There's a lot of Mets fans out there Um, in 19 when we put the, Mets on the field for the first time here in Syracuse. Second time, they were here in 1962. We had the largest increase of fans of anybody in minor league baseball that didn't have a new stadium. Las Vegas had a new stadium that year. and They absolutely murdered it, but we had the, you know, without a new stadium, we were still in the old stadium and all we did, we didn't change our act. We still did our same thing. And we had the largest increase of fans we We're the largest attended team on the road. Uh, we're one of the highest streamed teams. There's a lot of Mets fans out there. Uh, and and that's a good thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And they love their Mets. Uh, and uh, so I think that a combination of Mets fans, a combination of the stadium, and a combination of the fact that we, we try really hard here. We try to have great customer service. We try to go out of our way. I mean, nobody does what we do you know, in the central New York area. And, you know, really just the other minor league teams across the nation that do what we do because we just steal their ideas, but nobody does 26 fireworks shows and 20 giveaways and, you know, brings in, you know, all these autograph signers and national acts and uh, does dollar Thursday, and craft beer Friday and kids eat three mm-hmm. Sundays and run the bases after the game. You don't get to do that stuff at all the other places in town. And, we're a little bit more affordable than everybody. It's outside. It's beautiful. Uh, and I think if you, if you put all those things together, we've been doing it year in and year out, and we really engage with uh, so many different facets of our community. You know, we go to all the parades, we go to all the walkathons, we donate to, you know, 150 different groups. Uh, we have Education Day, and Pride Day, and Juneteenth Day, and Dog Day, and, you know, Italian Night, and Irish Night, and, you know, We Care Wednesdays. So we just Have that ability to engage with the community, uh, and 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 kind of all it's just been it's one of those things. You keep grinding, keep doing what you do, keep doing it for the right reasons, and word of mouth gets around. What did Yogi Bear say? Didn't didn't go to some restaurant because it was it was too busy there, something like that. Everybody's there all the time because everyone's talking about it. You know, so the more people we can have have a good time here and uh, tell their friends and neighbors that uh, that they should come out, uh, they come out.
1: You you had mentioned giveaway days uh, and uh, how are those days determined?
2: We like to, you know, give people added value, right? So, and, and, and we like to, to, you know, it was a baseball thing way back in the day, the forties and fifties, whatever they gave away bobbleheads and stuff, those old school ones. And then kind of went by the wayside and the minor leagues kind of picked that back up. And now you see the major leagues doing it again, you know, a sponsor uh, says, Hey, we want to, have a day when it give something away something that's good enough that somebody wants to keep right so mm-hmm. um you know you, you can have all the pens and pencils you want that's not that great of a giveaway you can get that at the doctor's office you know but uh, you know a nice hat a jersey a bobblehead um uh, you know a bark in the park we have a towel that you can wipe your dog off with um you know magnet schedule giveaway is kind of a quirky little thing, but you got like, like your magnet schedule. We do team photo giveaways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do t-shirt giveaways. Uh, and you know, so when you come to the game and some people come specifically for the giveaway, uh, you know, especially like a Francisco Alvarez bobblehead this year, uh, that's going to be a popular one. Um, and we've had people, you know, I, call, I don't like these long Island Nick. I don't remember his real name. He would come from long Island, for all of our bobblehead nights and uh, just to get our bobblehead. And eventually he's like, can I just pay you for them? And then you could just ship them to me. I'm like, no, no, Nick, that's not the way it works. You got to show up. It's <laughs> so a long we, trip from Long we Island. keep it real. We keep the integrity real. You know, and, and I remember some giveaways and, and sometimes, you know, like that Francisco Alvarez bobblehead, we're giving away, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 bobbleheads. But say it's 1,500. The 1,500 first person is going to be very upset. And that is an unenviable task for some 16 to 18 year old fan experience <laughs> member to have some guy from Long Island drive up from Long Island to not get a San Francisco <laughs> Elroy bobblehead. That little person is going to wear it from this guy because someone's going to have to pay for this guy not getting his bobblehead. I get it's it. It's going to be this little girl or this young man, and they're going to have to get verbally Short abused tits. by the fans. I get importance. it. I, I
3: tell my wife when we're gonna go to Bobblehead Days. I'm like, we gotta leave now. She's like, yeah. it's, it's early. I'm like, no, we gotta <laughs> get there early. I don't care what time. She's like, we're two hours early. I don't care.
2: We've got to get in line. I mean, some of these. When we did our Salt Potatoes Day, the first day we did Salt Potatoes, we did a Salt Potatoes Jersey Giveaway. There was there was a thousand jerseys. There was like three thousand people in line to get it. Oh goodness! People were getting in line at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Woof. The thousandth and first person that day was not happy. Uh, But, you know, we do, you know, in these days of VIP luxury service, we have an amazing giveaway pack. So, you know, we we set aside a certain amount of those. So there'll be some of those for Francisco Alvarez bobbleheads. If you do your amazing giveaway pack, you're guaranteed to get a Francisco Alvarez bobblehead. It's not like we charge you an arm and a leg. I think it's like $11. Uh, And, uh, you know, and our season ticket holders get a guaranteed giveaway. So mm-hmm. if they come in and you get the giveaway, you've got your giveaway. But if you come late and you didn't get your giveaway, we hold one for the season ticket. Holders. You know, and just if you come, you have four season tickets, but you come by yourself, you don't get four, you get one. <laughs> so they like I'm sure people bottle. have
3: tried that before.
2: Oh, all the time. So we do. you know, there's always scammers out there, but yeah. I'm a scammer. So if I think of the <laughs> alternate ways of doing things and all of our staffers like, Like, where do you come up with these horrible, weird ideas? I'm like, "Uh, I'm just kind of a scammer, and that's what I would do. So if you can proof it against me, it should work. We should give ourselves a chance.
3: What's the old saying? It's like I forget what the old saying is, but basically you can't scam a scammer something like that, but they scam us every
0: game. Uh, Jason, you mentioned the popularity of the salt potatoes, Um, like the the jerseys, you know, that when Syracuse Mets, when they transform into a different team, whether it's the salt potatoes, the salt city Mets, the butter sculptures, is that, is that like an all hands on deck effort with the team to like brainstorm these, these uh, ideas for, for that new team concept?
2: You know, uh, they've all come about different ways, and then everyone's mm-hmm. kind of a unique story. I mean, salt potatoes is kind of easy. Um, you know, we just steal ideas from other people. <laughs> and the, the Fresno Grizzlies became the Fresno Tacos, and the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs stole that idea from them. They became the Lehigh Valley Cheesesteaks. And we were at the winter meetings, and they're like, whoa, Fresno tacos were very successful. Lehigh Valley uh, cheesesteaks were very successful.
1: We're like, all right,
2: well, we should do that. There's only one food known in Syracuse that's regional, and it's the salt potato. And and we said, uh, you know, here's a crazy idea. We can just get a little salt potato, and we'll put a little sneer on them, that seems to be what everybody does, and (laughs) call ourselves Syracuse Salt Potatoes. It was a lot of fun. We talked to New Era, they made the logo for us,
1: Mm. and that was
2: probably the greatest thing we ever did, Um, because the Salt Potatoes are now going into their seventh or eighth, maybe eighth year, you know, and we put Mm. the Salt Potatoes up against the State Fair, and people still come out, we sell a ton of Salt Potatoes merchandise um salt city mets were very successful i thought the brannock devices were going to be more successful uh one year we did
0: yeah, a yeah salute
2: to central new york there's chuck the brannock device right there <laughs> uh and uh because the brannock device was invented in syracuse and that little device that measures your feet and i thought it was a great idea Um uh, Apparently, I was the only one that thought it was a great idea. Uh, so, will
0: there will there be dental chair night then
2: coming up? Did we invent the dentist chair? Yes. All right. That sounds like a good idea. That's kind of how it happened. So, okay, boom. There you go. There's next year's idea. We're going to be the uh, dental chairs. Uh,
0: basketball shot clock. My,
2: my father's a dentist. There's my like butter sculptures. Where the congeros. was our identity. Uh, congeros was fun. And it was, it was kind of an idea that, that kind of came from the community, um, mm-hmm. you know, part of the Copa de la Diversión. And for years we always did a Latino night. And, and we always did Mexico. And our, our jerseys were Los Chiefs, and they were the Mexican flag colors. And every time we did anything, we did sugar skulls. And the players would say, would you stop doing Mexican Latino night? None of us are Mexican." we're from the Dominican, we're from Puerto Rico, he's from Colombia, he's from Venezuela, and I think over the years, we've had a couple of Mexicans obviously play play baseball, but like predominantly, we're Puerto Rican and Dominican and Venezuelan and Cuban, and no one's from Mexico. Stop with the Sugar Skulls. If we were in El Paso, that would be a different story. Uh, Just do something more different. So, we said, Hey, let's let's embrace Copa. We talked to a good friend Rita Paniagua here in Syracuse and, and her family's originally from Puerto Rico. Her family mm. used to own the San sand crabs back in the day. And and uh, she came up with the congeros, the conga drum. Uh, and so we said, All right, we'll be the conga drums. That's you know, it's very big in, uh, in in Latin Latin American baseball. And uh, so we made our little logos and it was orange and blue and it had sugar skulls in it. And I was like, guys, we gotta listen to the players. No more sugar skulls. No more orange and blue. The Dominican flag is red, white, and blue. The Puerto Rican flag is red, white, and blue. Panamanian flag is red, white, and blue. I go red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. Throw some stars on it. Let's let's make it Puerto Rican, Dominican, and and listen to our our Latin American players. So that's kind of the evolution of how the the Congeros came to be.
3: Uh, Jason, you've had a nice journey through through minor league baseball. Uh, you started out in Watertown. You've been in Auburn. You've been in, in Kevin in my hometown of Staten Island. Nice. What is your What has your journey been like through the minor leagues? And what can you tell us? Like, what have What have you What have your roles been? What What have you done throughout Throughout your Your ten years?
2: Well, I've, uh, I've, this will be my in my I think this is my twentieth year in minor league baseball. I did a ten year stint, and then I got out for ten years. And then I've been back in. This is my tenth year with the with the with the Syracuse club, starting as the Chiefs, and, and now we're the Mets. So, I started in 1993. Uh, I got an internship. I had a choice between the Watertown Indians and the Mobile Bay Bears. Uh, And uh, you didn't get paid back then. So, uh, I could live at my parents' house and work with a Watertown Indian. So, um, I did the Watertown Indians, uh, short season single A baseball in Watertown, New York. And after that season, I just fell in love with minor league baseball. Dynamite Lady came and blew herself up on home plate and uh, (laughs) after the end of the game and and my boss used to have me sit out front, shake people's hands uh, when they came to the games. And and that that night, everybody just left happy and everybody had a smile on their face. And I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. We just made a ton of people happy and it's just a blast. Uh, So I just kept showing up and uh, the season got done and my internship was done, but I just kept showing up and they're like, well, if you're, just going to keep showing up, you know, we're going to leave and go to the track. You know, it was the wintertime in, uh, in Watertown. And those two, uh, my, my boss, Jack Trotz, general manager, and Jeff Dumas, the assistant general manager, they're like, yeah, we're going to go to OTB and build on some horses. You have to just watch the phones. I still wasn't getting paid. Uh, and I just kept showing <laughs> up and they're like, all right, well, you're here and there's another baseball season. So we'll, we'll pay you something. I, I became the director of special projects. Uh, and then the next year, uh, I kept showing up and, uh, the next year, the, the day before opening day, the concession manager got hit by a bus and died, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Wow, and, uh, and they're like, well, you worked in the restaurant business. So now you're the concession manager. Uh, so I was a concession manager uh, in Watertown. And then a guy was Sean Smith, uh, who went to, was, was going to work at the Batavia Clippers and they were getting a new stadium. He said, I want you to come be my concession manager. I said, well, I'm going to be, I won't be your concession manager. I'll, I was negotiating. I said, I'll be your assistant general manager. He goes, all right, I'll, you'll be the assistant general manager in charge of concessions. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I went to Batavia and, uh, and, and Sean was there for a year and then he went on to bigger and better things. And, and they made me the general manager and then I started being a general manager. So I did three years in, in Watertown and one year in Batavia and, and my fifth year in, I was a general manager of a short-season single-A team. We changed them from the Clippers to the muck Muckdogs. Uh, and uh, I've been on a roll ever since. And then the, the Watertown team moved to Staten Island. And, uh, and they called me up and they said, Do you, you know, you're going to go back to being an assistant general manager, but we're going to pay you more than you make as a general manager. I said, okay. So I went there and ran concessions. Uh <laughs> At Staten Island, loved Staten Island, uh, and so the first year at the old col- uh, College of Staten Island before the the new ballpark, mm. uh, we had set up in the parking lot uh, of the College <laughs> of Staten Island, and our our offices I remember were that. like at some weird office building across from the the the, the landfill uh, by the by the Staten Island Mall.
3: <laughs> I remember, I remember those, I remember those days well.
2: Yeah, we had, we had oh, Tom Green came to extend Yankees game. And these guys had no idea who Tom Green was. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, no. oh, he said he's not going to do anything rude. I was like, do you guys know, ever watch his show? <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, he promised us. Uh, shocker, uh, Tom Green locked the doors of the press box and proceeded to announce <laughs> some player's name for like a minute and a half. And, oh. it goes, like, <laughs> <Mooney!"> <laughs> and he just kept going and going and they were trying to get in the door and He locked it. Oh my God. Oh, it, was no. a great time. it was a horrible night for the Staten Island Yankees, but it was a great night for Tom. Grace.
3: I know a guy who used to work for the Staten Island Yankees and he proposed to his girlfriend on the, uh, on the field at the new Bullpark.
2: Why you would want to do that? I, uh, I, was people there. Or did he do it like privately?
3: No, I think he did it. All, I think he did it in, in with people there.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't marry that guy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know if you were still there at the time. I'm not sure. I was about. not. I didn't,
2: I was only there yeah. for one year. And then uh, I got a little love bus tour and, and I ended up teaching sports management at Cortland state and placing interns. Uh, and, uh, the Auburn double days, we were placing an intern at Auburn and, uh, they had fired their general manager and they remembered me mm. from back in the day. And, asked me if I wanted to do it. So I got back into baseball, kind of taught and and general managed at the same time. And then uh, I was in Auburn for three years. Uh, and then we started having a family. And you're when you're at the ballpark, yeah, you know, here it is. It's nine o'clock at night. I'm at the ballpark. Um, and so I got out for 10 years and had a regular job. I sold power tools for a fantastic company called Hilti. Uh, and then 10 years ago, uh, Bill Dutch, uh, called me. I, I was seeing that the Syracuse Chiefs were struggling and they were in the, the local newspaper struggling and I got a, a phone call from a, a guy named Bill Dutch. He was the president of the club at the time uh, and and I answered the phone. I said, hey, Bill Dutch, what's going on? He said, hey, long time no talk. How'd you like to be the general manager of the Syracuse Chiefs? I said, hold on a second. I said, honey, can I go be the general manager of the Syracuse Chiefs? She said, sure, that sounds like a great idea. So I said, sure, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> So I interviewed it's a long story and they were dumb enough to offer me the job. I was dumb enough to take it. ten years later I'm still here.
3: And you, see, you keep th- showing up.
2: Yeah. yeah. You show- That's half the battle. Just keep showing up. That's
0: right. And outside of course of the, the different affiliation changes that, that have taken place with the Syracuse Chiefs when you join them, how how have you seen the franchise evolve over the time that you've you've spent in Syracuse?
2: Well, you know, the evolution is is really the big thing. Is the Mets, you know? So uh, it was a community owned baseball club with a board of directors, and 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 those guys, uh, the board of directors that 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 ended up remaining, Bill Dutch and Paul Solomon and Bob Julian and and, and Jack Webb. They they the mission was to keep baseball in Syracuse. Uh, and under the community ownership, it was it was going to be a struggle to say the least. We could, we kept it afloat. You know, with with the changes mm-hmm. that I that I brought and the energy that I brought, but it still really wasn't super sustainable. So, you know, the the board got together and they found the New York Mets. Uh, they found the Wilpon family at the time that owned the Mets, and they bought the Syracuse Chiefs uh, and brought the Mets here and, and and started this whole thing with the uh, with the stadium renovation and signed a long-term lease. Uh, the Mets did with the city of Syracuse well, well not with the city of Syracuse but essentially at least with Onondaga County mm-hmm. that has us here till 2043 uh, and now that the the Cohen's ownership uh, of the Mets has just strengthened those bonds and strengthened their commitments to central New York and Syracuse and we proudly plant the Mets flag uh, at historic NBT Bank Stadium you know and the Mets really are New York's team with the Brooklyn Cyclones and the Binghamton Rumble mm-hmm. Ponies and the Syracuse Mets and the New York Mets. And, you know, we, we, we wear that proud and we, we're, we're orange and blue and, uh, and we're amazing. And this year the Mets are going to win the world series and <laughs> hopefully the Syracuse Mets will win the governor's cup. We're tied for second of most governor cups championships of all time. And we also have the record for, the longest drought between winning a championship.
1: We haven't won one in 40 plus years. <laughs> wow. Uh, Jason, you mentioned the stadium and all the upgrades and, and whatnot. Um, in the past, there have been concerts in the stadium. There was an outdoor hockey game at the stadium. Has there been any consideration to having concerts or maybe another sporting event in the stadium at all? Uh,
2: ish, you know, we're out of the concert game for the most part because we have a, grand, a fantastic amphitheater. Uh, and to have a concert here, you have to put down all the protective flooring, you know, and that's an extra $150,000 cost. And the promoter can say, well, we can just go play this perfectly good amphitheater over here with more seats that's built for a concert. So we're not really in the big concert game anymore. Maybe some small niche things. Um, we We have not played a hockey game here. Uh, they want to play hockey game, but you know, it's a horrible place to play hockey games, baseball stadiums, uh, in Syracuse, New York. So <laughs> you want to put a hockey rink down here. That's fine. But show us that our baseball field is going to be perfect, pristine condition for April 4th, uh, to play baseball, which is our main tenant. So hockey games are a challenge stadiums, not really built to be used in the wintertime. Uh, so we kind of work on some smaller events beer fests we've had uh, nitro circus here which was great mm. the savannah bananas are coming this year uh we do nice. a lot of community events uh, uh, and you know so we're always we're always on the lookout for the for the right event uh you know we want to do something that's that's good for the community and can be a good business decision uh, as well
3: how did the savannah bananas thing come about
2: you know they were just doing their thing and I've kind of loosely I've always followed the savannah bananas I've been fascinated by them I'm a poor man's version of that guy uh uh, i unfortunately have to live within the rules of major league baseball (laughs) Uh, i probably should wear an orange suit but that's all right um and i met a local guy who who had been doing some podcasts with with jesse and and he and he saw my act and he's like you know what you guys are kind of kindred spirits you should reach out to that guy so sort of stayed in touch with him over the years and and then I knew they were going on tour, so I reached out and it was really just kind of providence that, that that guy told me to, hey, pay some more attention. They're going on tour and mm-hmm. and he connected us and I reached out and uh, and we figured it out. Uh, we were at the time, we were the last place they chose to do their 76 stadium tour. and I think they've moved that up to like 90 stadiums at this point. Wow. uh and they 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 had a waiting list of 15,000 people to come to the game here There's 10,000 seats so if everybody gets one ticket there's not enough tickets so they they've had to move to a lottery system and i think that they do that at almost every place they go it's just wonderfully uh popular and uh and hopefully uh you know we we're able to pull it off and and every excuse me everybody has a great time
0: i went to uh, a business uh conference in savannah georgia and i looked into getting a, a ticket to a Savannah bananas game. Nope. Every, every ticket is sold out the whole season sold out season yeah. tickets sold out. It is amazing uh, how popular the bananas are down there and, and how quickly they're becoming popular. They're nationwide.
2: On my little love bus trip after the sets, uh, stinted Staten Island, the wife and I's, uh, 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 RV broke in Savannah, Georgia. We ended <laughs> up living there for six months. Wow. And, uh, I went to plenty of Savannah Sand Nats games, ah. and the appropriately named Sand Nats game. They might have been a Mets at the time. I don't I know. I think
3: yeah, and they were.
2: And back in the day, and so that was like ninety nine, two thousand. And the Sand Nats would just go in your ears and nose. was hot. Uh-huh. Oh, it's horrible. Nobody was there. Uh, they had dollar, you know, Thursday Thursdays. You get two Pabst six. You get sixty four ounces of PAPS Blue Ribbon for three dollars. And uh, <laughs> so, so I went to games, and you know, I thought Take it was it. great. My wife hated it because it was so hot. sand were going up her nose. She didn't like to drink warm halves blue ribbon. Shocker. Uh and uh and there was nobody there. And now the same exact stadium. Does not look like they've done many uh, uh upgrades to historic Grayson Stadium, and it's sold out forever.
3: So as you mentioned, Steve Cohen is the owner, right, of the of the Mets and of the Syracuse Mets. Um, does he come to games at all? Has it him and his him and his family Showing up to any games? They, do you think they show up? Do they plan to show up to games, see the stadium, see the fans?
2: Uh Steve has not been here, but his wife Alex has been here and she's she's pretty involved with us through the Amazing Mets Foundation. Um and it's 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 amazing, you know. No pun intended. Uh as she comes, she's like, you know, Steve has a day job, and he's like apparently a workaholic and he's like always trading. <laughs> and, uh so she was able to come up here with the Amazing Mets Foundation, uh, and they brought up and the Mays and Mets foundation and she's fantastic has done so much for our community but they came up you know to give out uh, equipment to local little leagues softballs and t-ball teams and we gave her a tour of the stadium uh and she was great and uh and i told her many of the same stories that i'm, I'm telling you guys tonight uh, and we talked about that you know that increase of fans because of Mets fans because Mets fans are crazy she's like Says, yeah I'm a Mets fan I'm a crazy Mets fan I was like you're the craziest Mets fan you bought the team for 2.4 billion dollars <laughs> she goes I know I'm the craziest Mets fan of all time because you know, her and Steve so um uh, she's great the Mets Foundation is, is great they do so much in, in the city but they do stuff in all the affiliates so they do stuff in St. Lucie they do it in Brooklyn they do it in Syracuse they help out in Binghamton you know they they donated 130,000 dollars to the food bank of central new york so they could buy a new truck so the food bank can then spend $130,000 to buy food we do all kinds of uh donations the mets foundation does to you know in our community. so and alex leads all that up and she's she's fantastic and hopefully steve will 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 come here someday and check it out uh it'd be nice to meet him one day but they've been wonderful the, the mets organization's wonderful i can't say enough good things uh about you know the leadership uh, of the Mets, uh, uh, everybody that we work with uh, on the affiliate side—it's uh, just a top-notch organization. And uh, from the Mets Baseball Department to the Mets Foundation to you know the minor league operation—they're uh, just—it's just a wonderful organization.
0: The last uh, several years, the Syracuse Mets have done a lot of work with Syracuse uh, the Challenger Baseball yep. uh, organization. So how, how important is that organization to to you and to Syracuse in general?
2: The Challengers are, are amazing. So they are, we met with them, you know, when we first, you know, and they were doing stuff with the Syracuse Chiefs prior to me getting here. Um, but you go to a Challenger baseball game, and it just kind of changes your perspective on things. So it's children and adults, uh, mentally, physically challenged uh, in some way, shape, or form. And Syracuse has the largest Challenger Baseball League in the nation, which makes it the largest in the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's arguably the oldest uh, uh, league uh, in existence. Uh, And they're just great people, you know. So we have a Challenger Day here, and and we do Little League Night here, and they're part of the District 8 Little League. And and when, you know, we have Little League Night, we have 3,000 kids uh on the field doing the parade we always end with the challengers because you know some wheelchairs and some things so the challengers always end it you know that that's the end of the parade but you know the challengers are coming down so they have great leadership uh they built a, a field of dreams here in syracuse uh and they're is trying to they still have some fundraising to do to finish it all off but they have fields ex- accessible fields fields for for everyone to use not only just mm-hmm. uh, those with physical challenges Uh, and, and they just make smiles, you know, those kids get up there and, uh, and, and and get a hit and are playing the game just like everybody else does. And it's just, it's just heartwarming. And, you know, we were lucky enough to have Tebow here for a season, you know, and Tim Tebow is, is very in tune with that community. And, you know, he asked me to, to bring him over to the challengers one night. So we just kind of showed up unannounced. Oh my gosh. It was a, it was a great day, uh, for the challengers. So uh, they just got actually invited to participate in the Little League World Series this year. They're going to have a challenger game, uh it's Syracuse versus somebody. So Don Camboreri, Jennifer Savestino, Dee Perkins, they, uh, they're they great people, and the challengers are are, are amazing. Yes,
0: they are. Dee Perkins, a fellow Oswego grad. Have That's correct. That. Yes,
2: shout out. <laughs> we didn't even talk about how much better Oswego hockey is than Plattsburgh hockey. <laughs> that should be like a whole nother podcast.
0: Yes, I, I think we'll do that. We'll make it we can go podcast. on for that with for forever.
2: Yeah. I watched the Beanpot this year. My daughter goes to Northeastern. So I watched ah. the Beanpot, Northeastern Harvard. It was the greatest hockey game I've ever watched in my life. And then I went there to go visit her. I said, let's go to a hockey game. She goes, no, I only go to the Beanpot. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? You don't go to like a game on campus? And we go to a game? I goes, they're my new favorite team. Uh, so now I gotta go. I see that it's time for the for the NCAA's. Michigan's number one. Did Northeastern make it? I don't know. Is is Oswego going to the Division three hockey championships?
3: They didn't make it. Yeah. No. We lost oh, yeah. the Plattsburgh in the Suniac finals. Oh, yeah. oh horrible! That's awful! It's a gut check.
2: Stupid Plattsburgh. <laughs>
3: Oh, hell us. And Jason, you're a
0: Fredonia graduate, so you're kind of in that. You know, you oh, get yeah. it, You know what's going on.
2: We get it. We used to go to hockey games in Fredonia. We love it. We couldn't beat uh, Oswego.
3: <laughs> you did when we were there.
2: Did we? Yeah. Wow. I had a higher expectation of Oswego hockey. Apparently, you guys can't win a game. You, you can't. You <laughs> didn't beat Fredonia in the late '80s, early '90s. You didn't beat Plattsburgh this year. What have you been doing?
3: Verdonia yeah. was always our, like, scuttlebutt, you know? It was always that, like, game we should have won that we couldn't win.
2: Blue Devils, baby. Bring
0: That's it. right. Well, Jason, thank you so much uh, for, for taking the time with us uh, tonight on the Throwing Bagels podcast. We, we truly appreciate it. And best wishes on a 2023 campaign.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate it, guys.
3: Yes. We'll try to come visit you this summer. I dare you. <laughs>
0: All right. That was Syracuse Mets general manager, Jason Smarrow. That was a great uh, preview of, of what's in store for this year. Also great to see. I mean, it's just the life of a, of a minor league baseball manager, I would have to say is probably never boring.
3: No, definitely not. I mean, I, I've told you guys before, when I went to the minor league baseball meetings, or actually the major league baseball meetings, minor league baseball job fair. Um, couple times in the early 2000s you know they they specifically tell you when you go there like you know obviously i was going for broadcasting but they're like if you're a broadcaster don't expect that you're just going to be broadcasting like you need to get your tush on the field and you know help out a little bit i'm like oh, oh okay i mean that's yeah part of the job fine but it just seems a little weird that the broadcaster has to go down and you know pull a tarp or something like that at some point or do
1: something like that you know yeah just imagine what the gm does uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of excited about the circus month season.
0: When you think about the season ahead, the possibilities, I mean, now injuries are you know always going to affect things, but there's a po- possibility right now that Francisco Alvarez is on the roster. Brett Beatty is on the roster. R- Ronnie Mauricio is there. Mark Vientos could start the season. We might have either Peterson, McGill, or both, or you know, one or the other as they rotate up and down. So this could be really the best lineup uh, that Syracuse, the Syracuse Mets have had um, since they, they started uh, back in 2019, not not that long ago, but still, I mean, you look yeah. at the rosters they've had, and this is certainly going to be, uh, it's one that, that we've been anticipating for quite a while, as we've seen th- these guys work their way through the system. And, and I think it's really going to be a, a great year.
3: Yeah. I mean, you could always say Deocas might, you know, yeah might be there who knows i mean to be quite honest with you, if he if he if he figures out his you know his his walk issues mm-hmm. um he could easily be a closer throwing 100 miles an hour you know if he if he has that if he gets his control under under underway you know he could take over for diaz for the season i mean i highly doubt it you know but you never know i mean it's always a possibility no
0: absolutely
1: yeah absolutely you're 100 correct
0: well, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Throwing Bagels podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we do want to remind you, we, we have a, a website out there in, 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 the, in the internet land. It's uh, throwingbagels.com. You can email us anytime, podcast at gmail.com. And we are really adding a lot of great things to the website over the uh, coming weeks. We've just added a blog. Uh, So we will keep up on that. We also will be starting a monthly newsletter uh, later this month. We're going to recap all the great stuff we've done in March. And that's going to be in our newsletter. You have to go to our website to sign up for that at throwingbangles.com. So please uh, check that out. And we greatly appreciate you listening. So until next time, see you, Jay. Take care. See you, Chris.
1: Peace out.